I think getting folks from the illicit to, to illicit markets is going to continue to be an issue in New York and, and every other state, frankly, because there is no there is no silver bullet. It's it's difficult. Welcome. This is Vivian Azer, Cowan's Beverages, Tobacco, and Cannabis Analyst. Delighted to be joined on our podcast with Darren Weiss, the COO of Verona Holdings. Hi, Darren. Hi, Vivian. How are you? So excited to be here with you at South by Southwest. Very exciting. Great panel today, and I think it presents a really good opportunity for us to talk about Verona's business um, for the benefit of our audience. And as I was reflecting on the evolution of Verona, M&A has been so topical um, and, and so important to your growth story. So maybe we can start there. Sure. Yeah. You know, as a company, I think we're born out of the M&A space. We started as um, a single state operator in Illinois. That was our first market. Not long after, expanded into Nevada and Maryland. At that point in time, with some new license wins, uh, particularly in Ohio and some other markets, um, decided to put Verano together. And um, from that moment on, really looked to find operations in key markets that would really help support our mission. And that mission has always been to deliver high quality product, um, operating primarily in the premium space at profitability, at scale. Um, and so what that means for us has been identifying assets across the country where we have operators who, first of all, have competency in terms of building their business, but know how to operate profitably. Um, we've always been and continue to be very um, conservative and responsible stewards of capital. And so expect that uh, when we look at M&A opportunities as well. Um, we typically uh, will look for assets in limited license markets, uh, highly regulated markets, uh, markets where there's somewhat of a, of a barrier to entry, um, and um, identifying good operational teams because our, our, our method has generally been to, um, to incorporate operational teams at the various targets that we've acquired and really bring them into the Verano family as, as part of the Verano platform. So um, we did, um, you know, I think about a billion dollars of deals in, uh, in 2021, right off uh, on the heels of going public. Um, and, uh, and, and frankly, haven't slowed down much <laughs> since that time and are always looking at new opportunities. I, you know, we are, uh, our M&A strategy, I think, has been a little different than um, some of our competitors, at least in the early days. There was, um, as you probably know, there was this rush to sort of plant a flagpole in every market, and, and that was never our model, and it still isn't our model. That's why we don't uh, we don't operate in every market. But at the same time, we know that there are lots of opportunities across a lot of markets, um, and so our continued strategy is is I guess twofold. Um, you know, we have a recent announcement that we're entering uh, through acquisition the the New York and Minnesota markets, which is um, you know we we view as as very transformative for us. Um, and so there's there's still this sort of new market mentality, but we're also really interested from an M&A perspective in terms of deepening our penetration in the markets that we operate in um, to enable us to get the, the, the best ROI and the footprint that we have. That depth of market penetration, I think, makes a lot of sense, you know, knowing kind of the, the levels of profitability that you guys have consistently been, been able to deliver. And I would assume kind of the depth coupled with the breadth helps kind of 
preserve or insulate your margins a little bit because you know one of the things that, that we've been talking a lot about with CEOs across the industries is the price deflation um, that we've been been seeing is is that part of the strategy to, to insulate margins with with that depth of penetration it for sure is so obviously um, the more of the vertical you're able to own the more shelf space you're able to have from a retail perspective you're able to retain more of that margin on the sell-through so that's absolutely part of it but more so more more than just margin it's also product and brand penetration so it's important to us that our brands are visible and ubiquitous in the markets in which we operate um, and because a lot of our competitors have been doing the same thing buying up retail channels and really pushing their own products we know that you have to stay uh, stay in that game in order to really be able to push your own products and get folks to recognize and use your brands um, but margins, you know, as you said, is, have been um, at the forefront, I think, of most everything that we have done over the past five years and will continue to, to, um, to be so. Uh, and so being able to have deeper penetration, especially in those states in which we're vertically integrated, is, is absolutely a margin play, among, among other things. State level regulatory landscapes will dictate some of your ability to do that, to be sure, right? Um, you know, Florida being an outlier, but, you know, not really offering the opportunity for wholesale. But as you think about kind of optimizing your portfolio and your footprint, is there a good balance that you guys are targeting in terms of wholesale versus retail mix? Well, from a top line perspective, um, I think about 60-40 would be the, the balance that we would look for, 60% um, being retail, 40% being wholesale. Uh, so obviously, you know, Florida, as you said, is an, is an outlier. And so in that market, for those who aren't familiar, you can only sell your own products to your own stores and sell at retail. You can only sell your own products uh, within those stores. Um, that, that being said, I think that there's an opportunity to, um, to um, feature our own products in a more a more substantive way through our own retail channels, um, which will also help on the, um, you know, on the margin side as well. But it's interesting, you know, how you talk about kind of the balance of, of that revenue composition, because ultimately, like it does come down to stickiness of, of the top line growth, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you guys have a four brand portfolio approach. Can you talk about how you think about your brand segmentation within your own portfolio? So, yeah, so we've, uh, we've got four primary brands um, across our markets. We will be launching some additional brands. Uh, in the coming year, but we've also just announced um, some product segmentation, particularly on the flower side, uh, that we've been really excited about. It's always been a goal of ours um, to be able to maintain that position as the uh, as the premium player, but also to participate in um, in lower tiers from a price perspective to to really take advantage of the good, better, best strategy that some of our competitors have done successfully as well. So um, we have uh, launched and and uh, created a segmentation between our flower lines and our reserve lines and our essence lines, um, which is a new thing for us um, and bringing our essence lines you know to a different price point, um, but being able to still take advantage and utilize that premium line. With respect to the other product um, uh, or the other brand portfolio. Uh, pieces. So, um, you know, we've got, um, I think, a, a, a natural separation from a product portfolio and a skew portfolio perspective um, with respect to the market, excuse me, the products that are geared more towards the medical side. Um, so the, um, the, the tinctures, um, the tablets, the pills, the topicals, um, the pain relief bombs, um, we've been able to sort of segment that part of the portfolio through our Avexia and Move lines. On the Burano line, the sort of the, the, the flagship line, we're looking at more sort of lifestyle brands, a more recreational feel um, that we give to those, uh, to those products. 
Um, we'll be entering the wellness space with some um, some new branding and some new products that I, I'm really excited about over the course of the year, as well as looking at the beverage space as well, which will be a new brand for us. So um, we talked a little bit about this on the panel, but I, you know, the the brand side is something that really excites us as a company. Um, seeing the uh, the ubiquity and the importance of brands. Um, Barano, as well as a number of our competitors and colleagues are putting a lot of um, money and resources into really understanding uh, how the brands that we create uh, and that we deploy are attractive to various different consumer segments. For a long time, the cannabis market was just, you know, throw out and push as many products as you can in as many different categories as fast as you can. And we're seeing, I think, a, a lot more creativity and a lot more strategy behind that that brand implementation, um, which is exciting for us. It absolutely is exciting. And as an analyst, I think it's also really exciting for investors, right? When I was first talking to the buy side about cannabis in 2016, it was still such a taboo topic and trying to explain that this was going to mature into an industry that looks like the industries that we've been covering for, for years and years alcoholic beverages, non-alcoholic beverages, tobacco, that brand segmentation, price point segmentation, form factor segmentation, the importance of innovation, all of that I think is is really becoming you know very tangible for, for investors as you guys um, express that strategy. So I think that's really encouraging. Um, but also I think it helps the consumer get comfortable with the space, right? You know, one of the things that has been much debated at South by Southwest is how do you migrate the illicit market, you know, in into the legal market and, and part of that is a change in the regulatory landscape. So, you know, New Jersey, you know, hopefully right around the corner. What are your thoughts on the timing there? We'll see. I, uh, I'm, I'm less sanguine about the, uh, about the prospects. We've been, you know, candidly frustrated with the, with the pace of change in New Jersey. You know, you have a governor who's very, very supportive, but the, the, the regulatory bodies, I think, are you know understandably inundated. Um, they, they're, they're regulating the current medical program, and they're also charged with standing up uh, a new uh, a new a new adult use program, and they want to get it right, and they can't be can't be blamed for that. Notwithstanding that fact, you know we, we are are also cognizant that the 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 voice of the people has been heard in New Jersey and other states, um, and folks want this um, and should have an opportunity to access it. So we're we're hopeful that uh, um, you know in the next couple of months we'll begin to see legal sales in New Jersey. But uh, but it's been difficult as sitting uh, and and waiting, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, you know, we 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 built out a, a state of the art, very large facility uh, in Branchburg, um, you know, with adult use in mind. It's uh, it's our largest and most advanced facility to date, um, and we uh, we're it's burning a hole in our pocket. We just uh, we wanna we wanna you know turn the gears on and get things moving. Well, I want to come across the river. You it? absolutely should. We would love to have you. <laughs> yeah. And then my home market of, of New York, you know, it, it seemed like very early days until there was so much turmoil in, in the governor's seat that things were going to accelerate and New York was incentivized, you know, to try to speed things up because New Jersey, you know, was, was moving right along. Obviously, you think that New York offers a lot of potential given your pending acquisition um, in that market. But, but how do you think about... Number one, you know, the timing um, on that. And, and I think even more importantly, if there's any market where I worry about migrating the illicit market to the legal market, it's New York because cannabis consumers in New York have a guy. Yeah, it's difficult. You know, we, we talked about this uh, a little earlier as well. First of all, from a timing perspective, I think I, 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 I do take the state at their word that they are looking for a uh, Q1 2023 launch. And I think that's eminently doable. I know a lot of the ROs have been uh, preparing for this for quite some time. 
Um, obviously, we're excited once we are able to uh, clear regulatory and other various hurdles to uh, to be able to participate in that. So I think from a supply perspective, you will be okay. You know, we've seen our share of missteps um, from various markets. Um, the uh, where folks have turned from medical to adult use. Obviously, we talked about New Jersey. Um, Illinois uh, was another one where, on the social equity front, they ha- they have had tremendous issues in getting that program uh, off the ground. You know, we've been through it in Arizona, we've been through it in Nevada, and sort of have some experience in terms of how that transition works. But uh, New York is is uh, is unique in in a lot of ways, not just in terms of the size, but in the prevalence of the um, of the black market of the illicit market. I think the state has done a decent job, at least publicly, of um, you know at least even very recently with respect to these new license set-asides and how they're going to do that. It remains to be seen whether they can implement that. Um, no one's really gotten social equity right yet, which is, which is quite unfortunate. But, uh, but I, think, I, I think from a, uh, a market standpoint, um, I do remain very, very bullish on that market in the near term. And I think certainly in the first quarter of 2023, you'll begin to see those robust sales. I think getting folks from the illicit to, to illicit markets is going to continue to be an issue in New York and, and every other state, frankly, because there is no there is no silver bullet. It's it's difficult. I'm glad you called out the the social equity licenses. That's obviously I think such an important um, topic and one where I think you know the MSOs, me as a Wall Street analyst, like we need to be thought leaders, you know, in in correcting some of the the wrongs from the failed war on drugs. And you know, Cowan, we're a corporate sponsor of um, Last Prisoner Project, which you know is doing tremendous work. But but you guys are doing tremendous work too, right? Even though the states aren't getting the social equity licenses right, that's not handcuffing Verano from you know engaging with the community and trying to, to make progress there. Can you talk about some of your initiatives there? Sure. We have a couple of ways of looking at this. Um, first of all, it's very important to us that whenever we enter markets, we have an opportunity to become members and stewards of the community. Um, cannabis businesses, um, I think, um, perhaps because of the, the unique history, have an opportunity to really be community-based organizations. And that's uh, as true for a mom and pop as it is for a multi-state operator with a uh, hundred and some stores across the country. You know, so one thing that we look to do is to improve the communities that we enter. Um, and that's uh, that involves getting involved in community organizations, dealing with uh, local organizations and nonprofits uh, for workforce development, for education, for expungement clinics um, and things like that. We're doing that in Chicago uh, and in some other markets right now. And so that's super important. And then the other part of it is is on the employment side. So it's very important to me uh, as a leader in the cannabis industry that folks who work in, in my company and, and in the industry more generally see work in the cannabis industry as a career path. You know, I think for, for many folks in this space, um, if you go to uh, dispensaries or, or cultivation facilities, you see a lot of young people. And a lot of those young people are doing this as sort of a, you know, a, a job because they were able to get it. It's a, you know, um, unskilled labor job to begin with. Um, they're learning uh, on, on the job. It's important to me that those people have opportunity to see this as a career. As a company, I can tell you that um, most, if not all, of our leaders across the country um, have started out in our company uh, as frontline employees, as bud tenders, as growers as production uh, staff. Uh, And it's been incredibly rewarding to see the trajectory of these folks um, come into leadership positions, come into management positions, begin to hire folks, 
um, you know, uh, from the communities that they came from um, to sort of fill those ranks. So that's been a big part of, uh, of our effort and really, um, really helping folks see cannabis as a career and a career alternative um, and helping the communities in, that uh, we operate in by, um, by offering employment and, um, and, uh, and career. But the opportunity for advancement, I think, doesn't get enough attention, right? Because the cannabis narrative is all about job creation, mm -hmm. but career advancement and professional development and really creating that that pathway is such a powerful, powerful story. And, and we heard it a little bit on, on one of the panels earlier today. I know it's um, early still in, in South by Southwest, but last question, um, any impressions so far by, from South by? Uh, it's been great. I've been really impressed with the professionalism uh, of the panels that have had an opportunity to see and the eclectic nature. I mean, you you can go and listen to sort of, um, you know, a panel on automation in the tech industry and then the treatment of Asian Americans in film, like literally within five minutes of each other. Um, so the breadth and eclectic nature is really cool. And, um, you know, just some of the people watching has been really interesting. <laughs> Having an opportunity to see uh, some of the folks who come here and some of the talent um, and, uh, you know, the, the impromptu serendipitous conversations while you're waiting in a Starbucks line have been uh, quite rewarding as well. So it's been fun. Oh, yeah, I agree. It has been a ton of fun. Darren Weiss, Chief Operating Officer of Rana Holdings, thank you so much. This is Vivian Azer, Cowan's Beverages Tobacco and Cannabis Analyst. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.